It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 232 for March 6th, 2010. Recorded March 4th. The long-anticipated next version of Adobe Acrobat has been shipping for a while now. And whether you need the full version of Acrobat or not, you should at least download and install the new version of the free Adobe Reader. This is Adobe Acrobat 10, and that's spelled with the Roman numeral X and is pronounced 10, not X. Version 10 of Acrobat is the only application that didn't ship with the original CS5 version of the other Creative Suite applications, so the upgrade comes at no cost to CS5 users. And, of course, the free reader is at no cost to anybody ever. I was surprised to find that Acrobat 10 still has an old-style interface, that is to say, no tabs. All of the other CS5 applications have tabbed interfaces, but the improved features more than make up for this apparent shortcoming. First, Adobe Reader. And I reiterate, even if you don't need the full application, you should download and install the latest version of the free Acrobat Reader. Before version 10, the ability to add comments to a PDF could be enabled by the creator of the document. But by default, reader users had no ability to add comments or to save the file. Now, some comment types are enabled by default, and users can save the file. And richer capabilities can be extended to reader users if the file creator chooses to enable reader rights. Unfortunately, the creator of the document must enable reader rights if the PDF contains a form even though, it seems to me, the mere presence of a form should enable the ability to fill out the form and save it. But that's a minor problem, and it's not a change from past performance. I do have an annoyance alert for you, though. By default, the installation of the reader comes with the McAfee antivirus scanner, Adobe probably earns a few bucks from McAfee, but automatically installing what can reasonably be termed crapware is, in my opinion, unethical. So watch the installation carefully. Answer the questions with care. That's the only annoyance, though. Definitely download the Adobe Reader, Adobe Reader 10. You can do that by following a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. But the big news is Adobe Acrobat Pro. PDF portfolios are almost ready for prime time. This is a feature that Adobe has been working on for a while, and it continues to improve. The user still doesn't have as much control over the output as most graphic designers will want, but that's probably coming, maybe in the next version. Portfolios allow users to combine various kinds of files into a single package with a table of contents. If you want to use this, be sure to check out Anne-Marie Concepcion's Creating and Working with Portfolios at lynda.com. You'll find a link to that from the TechBiter Worldwide website, and that is a paid service. Acrobat is often used in preparing publications for print. A new feature allows multiple users to add comments and annotations to a PDF file and return them to the author or editor. 
The files may then be merged in a way that combines comments from each user into a single file and displays them in a threaded list. This can be very useful. Although the interface seems to be slightly behind the rest of the CS5 suite, the new interface, and it is an improvement, is probably the first thing most users will notice. The menu is simplified, and the real power center is now in a tools pane. You can display that on the right side of the main window. Check it out on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And maybe you notice that big Create button on the upper left side of the window. Click it and you'll see a list of ways that you might create a new PDF. To make a PDF from a scanned document in previous versions, you'd have to choose one of several modes to use. Acrobat is now smart enough to choose the best option itself, although if you disagree, you can override Acrobat's choice. So if you have an automatic document feeder, you can just load it up and click Start. And my next scanner is going to have an automatic document feeder. When I see something that I want to follow up in a magazine, I tear out the page. Then I put the page in a stack of other pages. Eventually the stack of pages falls over and I throw them away. Somebody at Adobe apparently thought, hmm, what if I could capture all of those pages electronically? And it's not just scanning. Acrobat 10 includes optical character recognition. This OCR can search for text within a scanned document. Better compression makes the scanned documents smaller, too. Acrobat can convert black and white, grayscale, and color paper documents into searchable PDF documents, or you can export the scanned PDF documents to Microsoft Office formats for further editing. You're probably wondering just how well this would work. Okay, fair enough. So I decided to take a look. An article called The Art of the Elevator Pitch ran in the December 2010 issue of Wired magazine. I thought it was a good article and it saved it for reference. Because my scanner doesn't work with Windows 7 64-bit systems, and I thank Epson ever so much for that, I can't use Acrobat to perform the scan. But once I've scanned the page separately and created a TIFF image, I could ask Acrobat to convert it to text. So I did that. And a few seconds later, the article appeared on the screen as a PDF. It looked about the same as the scan. In fact, it looked exactly the same as the scan. But when I tried searching the scan for some text, couldn't find any, because there wasn't any. Once I ran the OCR, the text was all there. So that noise you heard about, oh, say, 4.47 p.m. on Saturday, February 19th, yeah, that was my jaw hitting the floor. Wow. Wow is a huge understatement. If you'd like some proof, you can check out the PDF that I've attached to this week's TechBiter Worldwide program. Acrobat 10 is available in three paid version, the standard version, $300 or $140 for an upgrade, the pro version for $500 or $200 for the upgrade, and Acrobat Suite. That's $1,200 or $800 for the upgrade. The Pro version allows users to convert AutoCAD, Visio, and Microsoft project files to PDF. The suite adds Photoshop CS5 and Captivate CS5, so if you already have other CS5 components, you don't need the suite. Bottom line for Adobe Acrobat 10, 
Acrobat just keeps learning better and more amazing tricks. Print professionals know that Acrobat is a must-have application, but most office workers make do with just the free reader product. The ability by Acrobat 10 to scan documents, convert the scanned documents to text, and then save them as PDFs might be enough that even penny-pinching managers will realize the logic of investing in the extra features. For more information, visit the Adobe website. You'll find a link, of course, from the TechBiter Worldwide website. As someone who has knocked Microsoft Internet Explorer rather forcefully, I'm kind of at a loss for words at this point, I find myself liking Internet Explorer 9. Conventional wisdom suggests that Microsoft needs three tries to get something more or less right. The original Internet Explorer was a disaster. Internet Explorer 2 was marginally acceptable. Internet Explorer 3 brought Microsoft even with Netscape. Netscape no longer has a browser, but Firefox carries on the tradition. Opera and Google Chrome compete in an increasingly crowded marketplace. 9 is 3 squared. So if the magic number 3 is important to Microsoft, IE9 should be a winner. Version 9 hasn't been released yet, but the release candidate, or RC, is available, and Microsoft says more than 2,000 changes have been made between the beta and the RC version, and that these improve browser performance, including improvements that make the browser start faster, load web pages faster, and interact with web pages faster. It may be worth noting here that some of these improvements are probably the result of removing debugging code Debugging code is always left in beta versions. It's usually removed by the time you get to the RC, and that automatically speeds whatever application is involved. What I like is that this version of Internet Explorer essentially gets out of the user's way. The interface is a lot cleaner than it's ever been, and it supports HTML5, the latest revision of the HTML standard that was developed in 1990. HTML5 is still in development. The goals include improving the language by providing support for the latest multimedia while keeping it easily readable by humans and consistently understood by computers and devices. That's a big order. IE9 has a new JavaScript engine called Chakra, and the developers have tuned it to work well in common situations found on websites. According to Microsoft, Chakra uses advanced techniques traditionally found only in desktop-optimizing compilers. Most browsers don't currently take advantage of the graphical processing unit, or GPU, that's present in most computers. Instead, they depend on the central processing unit, or CPU, to do all the work. IE9 uses the GPU, when appropriate, to make websites faster, and Microsoft says that IE9 will be the first browser to do this. It certainly won't be the last. Individual tabs are available on the taskbar at the bottom of your screen. Hovering the mouse over the IE icon shows all of the open tabs, just as other applications do in Windows 7. You can include multiple home pages in a single pinned site, and then open them all simultaneously. This doesn't bring anything new to the table that hasn't been possible with Firefox, Chrome, or Opera. As with other coming-generation browsers, IE will allow you to limit what a website can track. A tracking protection list is used to specify which sites can track you and how. 
IE9 also gives the user improved control over browser helper objects, or BHO. These have been used previously as vectors for viruses and other malware, although they are useful. Microsoft continues to use ActiveX, which allows web developers to create interactive content, but can also be a large security risk. A new IE9 setting allows the user to block ActiveX controls for all sites by default and then enable the features only for trusted sites. A word of warning. If you're still using Windows XP, Internet Explorer 9 is not for you. That's not unexpected for an operating system that's 10 years old. XP was released on August 24, 2001, and although it has proved to be a very reliable operating system, it's time to move on. For more information, you can see Microsoft's Beauty of the Web website. There's a link to it, of course, from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And if you've already downloaded the Firefox 4 beta, be sure to view the Beauty of the Web effects with it. What you'll see is some of HTML5's magic, and it does work with XP. In short circuits, wow, there is no easier way to make people furious, it seems, than to offer a free service that isn't 100% reliable. This week, tens of thousands of Gmail users lost access to their mailboxes temporarily. One might have been forgiven for thinking that not having access to an email account for a couple of hours constituted a disaster. And some media outlets howled that email had been lost. Well, not exactly. Google does have some paying customers. Business, education, and government users pay $50 per year per account. That's probably quite a bit less than it would cost them to run a server, provide security, manage and back up the system, offer support, and so on. Following an outage last year, Google gave those paid users 15 days free. I figure the value is about $2 per user. Well, I can understand the frustration of those who pay for the service, and even to some extent the frustration of those who use it for free. But, I mean, a couple of hours? Come on! The problem that affected, by Google's admission, most Gmail users seemed to affect me not a bit, or at least I didn't notice it, and that isn't because I shun Gmail. Certain network changes at the office make webmail my only option from there. Gmail is the best webmail service available, but it's still webmail, and the best crap is still crap. Let me put this into perspective. The outage lasted for about an hour and 45 minutes. During that outage, users could still use POP or IMAP email applications to send and receive mail. And many users who have personalized their Google page were able to use Gmail from there. In other words, this was essentially a non-event that somehow was perceived as a disaster. Others, including some who are technologically literate, have said that this is the kind of event that is why they'll never trust online applications in the cloud. They're concerned that their information will just disappear someday. But I'd be willing to wager that Google has a more robust backup system than 99.999% of home users, and that includes me, and a more robust backup system than at least 80% of business users. I'm not really a big fan of online applications yet, because they're generally slower and less feature-rich than PC-based applications. But the security of my online data isn't a significant concern. 
I keep a local copy of everything I have online. The online copy is backed up online. The local copy is backed up locally. The local copy is also backed up online. In many ways, this attitude of fear mirrors that of people who refuse to use ATMs at banks or who demanded passbooks so they could see their money. Unfamiliarity causes us to behave this way. I wonder if restaurants were slow to catch on because people felt they were no longer in control of their food. There ought to be a big musical fanfare here, but I don't have one, so just imagine it. Are you imagining the fanfare? Apple, Apple iPad 2. Yep, there is one. Steve Jobs came back from medical leave and introduced it. The new iPad has cameras front and rear. There's got to be a joke in there somewhere, but I haven't come up with it yet. You can buy one of those new iPad 2s starting on March 11th. 500 bucks for the paperweight version, $830 for one that actually does something. Well, I had to mention it. If I didn't, you'd think I wasn't paying attention. Facebook. If Facebook was a country, it would be the third largest country on the planet, ahead of the United States, behind only China and India. Now Facebook has acquired Beluga, a startup that provides group messaging for mobile phones. In some previous cases, Facebook has acquired companies as part of a talent hunt, kept the talent, and then killed the company. But it appears that Facebook sees some value in the service Beluga provides. And this, by the way, is not the expensive Russian vodka Beluga. The company uses a whale as its logo. The three developers of Beluga are all former Google employees, so we'll have to assume that they're technologically very smart. Those who have used the application say the design is excellent. Facebook's public statement on the merger gives users hope that the service will continue, and I quote, For now, Beluga will continue to function as it does today. Beluga accounts and data will not be lost. We'll be providing more details on future plans for Beluga in the coming weeks. That's the word from Facebook. The application allows users to create pods. A pod is a group of friends. These people can stay connected via a smartphone. Now, I don't have a smartphone, but having looked at the application, I can certainly see how it would be a most attractive application. If you'd like to see what Beluga is all about, you can visit the Beluga Pods website. There's a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.